right. Good evening. My name is Ryan Miner. You're listening to A Minor Detail. You can find us on the web at aminordetail.com. And we are here every Sunday night or <laughs> every other Sunday night, depending on the summertime. I don't know. Uh, people are busy, but we, t- we turn this into podcast. It's technology and it's fun. So, uh, you know, look, um, I got Maine Lobster on my mind because we just booked our Maine vacation where we're Kim and I are going to drive up the Maine seacoast uh, over the 4th of July weekend and eat lots of Maine lobster and maybe hang out with the bushes. Just kidding. <laughs> so tonight I have a special guest. Her name is Emily Keller. She is a newly elected Hagerstown City Councilwoman. And uh, we're going to talk to her about the recent opioid summit that took place in Hagerstown at Hager Hall. Councilwoman Keller, welcome. Hi, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, anytime, anytime. <laughs> Emily, um, you and I have known each other for a while. I think it goes back to, what, maybe high school? Yeah, we used to wear those god-awful band uniforms together. <laughs> yeah, those things. Yeah, remember those <laughs> things that, like, during the summertime, they would make, like, and you would be out in parades, and then at band competitions, uh, you would be, you know, you'd end up in a pile of sweat by the time you finished. Those things were awful. Yeah. The big Weren't feather the hat. Major? That's what I miss the most. <laughs> Weren't you the drum major at South High? I was. And yes. you graduated, I think, a year after I graduated because I was the class of 2003. Yeah, it was 2004. Okay. I technically should have been the class of 2004 because I have a late birthday in November. So, But my parents decided to, I don't know, push me up. So I went to Williamsport. And you went to South, and you and I used to have a high school band rivalry. We did, yeah. <laughs> the jazz <laughs> band rivalry, too. <laughs> well, um, and for anybody who um, doesn't know you from your high school days, I would encourage – in fact, I still have some old tapes of you singing. Um, and I think – oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I think it was all-county band uh, 2002. Yeah, I think you and – um, cause I was first chair alto sax and then do you remember Jarrett Dudley? Yes. Yeah. I don't know what that guy's up to, but then there was Tyler. Um, I don't know what any of these guys are up to these days, but they were all excellent musicians and we had a blast. Um, it yeah. was fun. That were the good old days, but then you decided to do bigger and better things. And unlike myself who, uh, ran for public office in, in Hagerstown and Washington County, and got my ass handed to me. Um, you ran a <laughs> you ran a very successful campaign because people generally like you more than they like me. So, and that's a good thing. Um, <laughs> but I, you know, I want to I want to lead into our discussion about the opioid summit. And you decided to run for office, and it was sort of interesting because when I ran for office. Um, a couple of years ago in 2014, you were a big supporter, and uh, which I, I really su- appreciated at the time. Um, you know, you were like one of seven. And um, so you decided to run for public office in the city of Hagerstown. And it was like, it was kind of like, oh, yeah, I hear I'm going to run for office and see how this thing goes. But it turned into so much more than just Emily Keller putting her her name onto a ballot and your campaign became a real movement in the city of Hagerstown. 
And it was honestly, and I, I, and I say this without any hyperbole, Emily, it was one of the best political campaigns I've ever seen run at a local level. And that goes to, that goes to your credit. Um, And during the, during the campaign in 2016, um, you kicked it off. And one of your primary issues was combating the heroin epidemic. And I want to talk about that as a precursor to our discussion tonight. What, what, what made you decide that you really wanted to be a city councilwoman in the city of Hagerstown? And what were, aside from just the heroin issue that you ran on, which was one of your keystone issues, what was some of the reasons sure. why you, you jumped into, you know, the rough and tumble world of politics, as I'm sure you're <laughs> discovering now that you're an elected councilwoman? Absolutely, yeah. Um, you know, I, I honestly never had political aspirations, and it was Bob Brucci who encouraged me to run um, <laughs> several months before I had to file to run. He would stop by my office sometimes. I sponsored the Hagerstown Sun, so he would come in over business, and he started mentioning it. And to be honest, my initial response was, not a chance. No way. <laughs> have no interest <laughs> in being in politics. And the first time he mentioned it, I didn't really put much thought into it. But then, you know, I'm, I'm involved in the chamber. I'm involved in the business world. And I started looking around and thinking, all right, I'm already at all these events. People speak honest all the time about issues they have in Hagerstown, things they would like to see happen. And then there's always the complaints of we've had the same people in office so many years. We need fresh blood. And I started putting more thought into it. Like, okay, maybe maybe we do need younger people to go out there and, and be the change that they want to see. So I I waited until the last minute. I filed the the day of the deadline, about an hour before the deadline. And that whole day I went back and forth, like, is this the right decision? You know, I'm, I'm a young business owner. My business hasn't been open very long. Is this going to make me a target? Um, you know, I went back and forth of, do I want to live my life under a microscope? And I just thought, you know what? I, I do. I want to, I think I have some good ideas. I think I can help. And I think that I'm, you know, the younger generation is probably going to reach out to me sooner than they would maybe Lou Metzner or Don Munson, and I adore them both. But just because, just because of the age difference alone, I think I, I connect to a different audience. So I decided to run with it. <laughs> You've been a lifelong city of Hagerstown resident, and I met your mom, and I have met your dad before, both wonderful people, mm-hmm. both Im- important people in the community. And I, it seems like everybody knows Ed Keller. I just feel like everybody in Hagerstown has to know Ed Keller or has heard of Ed Keller. <laughs> yes. Well, every, everyone's seen him play and sing their whole life. So everyone is yeah. always like, the drummer, Ed? <laughs> yeah. 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 And then, of course, you followed in his musical footsteps. Um, and do you still sing at all, Emily? I, I do. I sit in with his band sometimes on occasion. I just don't really have time right now. Hopefully, <laughs> maybe later in life when things calm down, <laughs> yeah, I'll you're, figure it you're, out. But singing is always home to me. When I'm on stage, I just feel comfortable there. Yeah, I was going to say, you're a little busy right now tackling uh, the world of Hagerstown <laughs> and all that, um, yeah, all, all that encompasses that. Um, so then yeah. during the campaign, you, you had an opportunity to go out into the community and talk to a lot of people. You knocked on a lot of doors. 
which is a great thing in any campaign because when you knock on doors, you hear the stories of people who need help each and every day. And that's so important because you sit there, you stand on their doorstep, and you have a conversation. It's not political. It's basically tell me what's yeah. on your mind and what are your thoughts about city government in, in Hagerstown. Um, and let's talk about that. Let's talk about some of those conversations that you had one-on-one with people. Well, it, w- it was amazing because by the, by the time I started knocking on doors, I had really spoken very publicly about the heroin issue. So it was amazing to me how open people were. I mean, that was the number one concern I heard. And it's not like heroin is the only concern that Hagerstown has, but it was kind of, especially over last summer and even into now, it was on the, on the front of everyone's mind because it's just been, it's everywhere we turn, we're hearing about it. Um, and people knocking on doors was was exciting just because people were excited for me. They were saying we're we're happy to have someone new, young, and they were encouraged by it and actually paying attention to the local election because I tried to make it so public. I tried to post what I was doing and involve social media and create videos showing where I was at and who I was talking to and try to continually engage the public. And I don't think people had really done that before in local elections. So it was nice to see the response from the public when I would knock on their door and they'd already know who I was. It was pretty amazing. It was. And people who followed your campaign knew that you were approaching the typical political cycle much differently than most politicians or candidates in that you effectively use social media in a way that no one has actually done before inside of the city of Eggerstown. And you you had a you know a geographically uh, enclosed area in the city, and you were able to broadcast a message, and you stuck to it. You just kept, and as I followed your campaign, you just kept hitting the message, and that new and fresh blood, new leadership, and aside from the issues that, of course, the very important issue of combating heroin, what were some of the other issues that you heard from people and voters and the folks that you had one-on-one conversations at their doorstep and at various events, what did they want to see happen in the, in the city of Hagerstown? What were those pressing issues? Well, a lot of people, especially with question A being on the ballot um, this election, a lot of people were paying close attention to police and fire. Um, they were feeling with the crime issues that we needed to make sure our police were properly paid. So they would want to stay in Hagerstown, our fire you know, they had been out pretty much publicly saying, you know, we don't have what we need. We need to be made whole. And the public responded to that because no one is ever going to complain about paying police and fire. They deserve it. And that was a major, major pain point, I think, in this election because the public heard it loud and clear. So people talk about that. And then really just about downtown, the downtown, excuse me, revitalization, people were frustrated that, they, they feel we've been saying for 20 years we're going to revitalize downtown, but they haven't seen those changes, and they really want to see progress being made, which I think we're at. You know, we just signed the MOU with the city, county, state um, for the downtown revitalization, but that was big on everyone's mind because you drive downtown, you drive around Hagerstown, you see a lot of vacant buildings. It's frustrating for people. You know, they, they think, why aren't we – why aren't we reaching out to businesses or why aren't these buildings filled? Why aren't we getting big employers in Hagerstown? And 
people don't want to have to travel to make a living wage. It's true. And as someone who was born and raised in the city of Hagerstown, probably much like I I assume that you, I was born at the old Washington County hospital. That's now um, a field. (laughs) Yes, me too. (laughs) Um, And, you know, just to stroll through memory, memory lane here a little bit. um, I grew up on Dunurban drive, which was right, right across, which is right across from the city park. And I remember yeah. my childhood until I was about 10 years old. We lived in the, my, my mom and stepfather and I lived in a small apartment um, on the first floor um, across from the city park. We had great neighbors. And I remember riding my bike uh, down to superior dairy. And yeah. it was only, <laughs> it was only a few blocks away. And then on Sunday evenings, when the Hagerstown municipal band would play, uh, their summer concerts, I would ride my bike over there and listen in. And um, I think I even spent one summer at uh, the Surrey uh, Child Care Center. Um, they had a summer program. And Hagerstown is special to me because my grandfather, he retired um, after working over 30 years at the Hagerstown melt plant, um, the light plant. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, he and he was born. My grandparents were both born um, in on, uh, one was born on West Avenue and I think the other one was born on West Washington street. And then I had another grandparents were born on also on West Washington street. So Hagerstown is essential to my DNA. It's, it's who I am. It's where I come from being born and raised in the city. It's, it's always going to be Emily, my hometown as it is yours. And yeah. that's why I, I focus my blogs and podcasts on Hagerstown specifically many times because it's such a vital piece of the puzzle of Maryland. And that's why I'm, I mean, I'm loving with my hometown and it's great to see someone like yourself. We're practically the same age, step up and want to work within the community for all the right reasons, not political reasons, not because you're taking it at a step at a time, but it's, that's, that's where, my renewed confidence comes in because I have almost no faith in the political process <laughs> at this point in my <laughs> life. And for, for many reasons. Um, yeah. And that's why I think I, I have. Hagerstown. Exactly. Oh. And I love Hagerstown too. And that's why you look at, you look at the vision, the grand vision that folks like yourself and um, Bob Brucci and Dave Geisberts. I, I need to mention him as well. Um, Absolutely. And, um, you know, Lou Metzner has been doing this for a long time. He's been on, he's, he's a friend of this podcast. Um, and, um, and, and Paul, um, I'm, I'm drawing a blank. I can't even remember his last name. You served with him Quarterman. on the city. Yeah. Paul Quarterman. Um, so this is, this is central. This is who we are. This is where we were born and raised. So we can only think of making our community stronger. And so I would be remiss if I didn't mention that, uh, you and I came in contact even later in life um, because you, I think I was your sponsor for the Hagerstown Rotary Club. <laughs> you were. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right after I opened my business. That's I've now right. switched from Hagerstown Rotary to Sunrise Rotary only because it works better for my schedule, but I'm still a Rotarian. Thanks to you. Oh, well, it's, it's a great organization, but nonetheless, Another one of my passions, Emily, is education, and that was a major issue in the last campaign 
primarily the conversation around how can we utilize the territory around BISFA? How can we build out and expand what is known as the academic hub? And what can we do to utilize the area around the University Systems of Maryland? All important pieces of the Hagerstown pie. Um, and that was another major issue. So I want to talk yeah. right before we get into the meat and potatoes of this discussion about the education process. In downtown Hagerstown, there's the crown jewel that I like to call, which is BISFA. Let's talk about that. Yeah. What, do you think, what do you think BISFA brings to the city of Hagerstown's community? I mean, what an amazing program. I, if anyone listening has not seen one of their shows, you need to go see them. I, I just saw my first BISFA show about two years ago, and I was completely <laughs> blown away. I mean, I'm, I'm a band nerd, I'm a music nerd, self-admitted, but I was so jealous that that school did not exist when I was oh, in high man. school. I mean, they are just phenomenal. I mean, they're a top 10 ranked school in Maryland. They are essential to, to Hagerstown, to Washington County. I mean, what, what a program to have in our county, let alone right in the heart of downtown. Mr. Havermail was my middle school band director. <laughs> He was in charge of bands, I think, right at the end of my high school career. You couldn't have a better person to be the the principal of that school. I mean, they're just, just phenomenal. And to have that kind of arts program, but to still be so highly ranked academically is is just phenomenal. I agree. And the the challenges that Hagerstown faces at this moment, from my perspective, watching social media following the conversation is that there is this undercurrent of negativity that consumes the community, meaning that people have a negative impression of the city of Hagerstown based upon, based upon a few things that you as a city council are working to change. And I've, yeah. and it's gradually crept up over the last couple of years, Emily, in that people are many people are inherently negative about Hagerstown's future. Why is that? Why do people look at the city and say, oh, well, it'll never become a Frederick, or oh, I don't want to start a business down here, or oh, it, I feel unsafe. What, what's, what is the real problem? Where are people getting this from? You know, I, honestly, this may sound like a very simple answer, but I feel like social media is the problem. And it, it's not just Hagerstown. It's it's anywhere you go, it's negativity, it's negativity, it's negativity. You know, you go to Frederick, and people in Frederick complain about Frederick the way Hagerstown people complain about Hagerstown. Yeah, they have a busier downtown, but they have their fair share of issues too. I think that we honestly don't, do not have enough cheerleaders. We have people – it's just human nature. If you go to a restaurant and you have the best experience, you may tell your friend or your mom, or you might post about it on social media. If you go to a restaurant and you have a bad experience, you tell every single person you know for the next three days about how horrible this restaurant is, never go there. I mean, we're just like, it's ingrained in us as human beings to be negative. And I'm not naive. Hagerstown does have problems. We're, we all want to fix them. We're all working to fix them. But we do a lot of good things, too, and we have a lot of good things to offer. But you never hear about it. It's like mm -hmm. you can't – if something good happens, you know, Governor Hogan pledged seven million dollars to into the downtown revitalization problem, and there were there were people on on that post on like it was probably Herald Mail or one of the local news stations saying, "Oh, it's never going to work." It, you know, this here we go again. This has been twenty years of this. Like it's it's never good enough, 
instead of saying, wow, that's really cool, finally someone's paying attention to Western Maryland, a city-county-state partnership, how great is that? Instead, it's, oh, it's not going to be enough. You know, I I think it's just social media has made it very easy for everyone to point out negatives, and instead we need people, we need the the leaders in the community to to be out talking about the positive things. And I, I think that perception is reality unfortunately and when all you hear about is bad and negative it's hard not to start feeling that way there are issues that need to be addressed in the city of hagerstown and namely one of the primary issues is what we came on to talk about specifically tonight and that is the opioid addiction the the heroin problem that is taking lives of innocent people who have a problem and don't know where else to turn, and this is this is a, enveloping a a community of individuals that are roughly our age, sometimes older, sometimes younger, but it's becoming more prevalent. And during your campaign, Emily, you had a life-altering experience, one that ended in travesty, but in, out of that, I believe, uh, was born a passion to really work to to solve this this crisis. And I want you to talk about that. What was the travesty? What happened? Well, I had um, my best friend. Her name was Ashley. Um, She was my friend from the first day of kindergarten. She was literally the first friend I ever made outside of my neighborhood. And uh, we grew up together. We, you know, we did, we were together constantly. And a couple years ago, she got addicted to heroin. And I saw firsthand what heroin does to someone. I mean, it completely robs you of your whole life. And if you would have gone back 10 years and said to me, one of your friends is going to be addicted to heroin, she would have been last on the list. You know, people, I think people associate drug addicts with a certain stigma. You know, it's, it's this type of person or that type of person, but unfortunately with heroin, it's, it's all people. And I, I saw that with her and, you know, we went through years of, of just back and forth. She would get clean. She would be using again. She would get clean. She'd be using again. She'd go to jail. And then when that would happen, it was like a breath of fresh air, but she'd get right out. And it it just, it, I saw a drug completely consume my best friend and I tried and there was literally nothing I could do about it. And I really, she was alive when I filed to run and I wanted her to be the success story, the, the hope that so many people need the, Hey, look, you can beat this addiction. And unfortunately it was June 27th last year. She overdosed and died. And, you know, that week she had struggled a couple to- different times. And then unfortunately that night she was alone. There was no one there to, to save her. So I really, um, at my summit the other day, someone said something that struck, struck him to me. They said, in destruction, you find purpose. And I think that's kind of what happened for me because I couldn't save her, and I thought, I can't let her passing away be it. Like, I have to use this for something. And I I just, I shared her story because I thought people needed to know it's okay to talk about this. Because heroin is, it's everywhere. It's it's white, it's black, it's rich, it's poor. It's in the south end, the north end. You know, it doesn't discriminate. But so many people are scared to step up and get help or scared to admit when it's their child or their their mother or whoever. So 
I just tried to speak very honestly about it and tell people it's all right. It's all right to say you have a problem or it's all right to say your loved one has a problem. We're, we're all in this together. And until we can eliminate that stigma, we're not going to get anywhere. So it was mind blowing because when I shared that video initially, I was nervous. I mean, I, I, it took me a while to hit the post button because one, it was very vulnerable, but two, I thought, is this going to, is there going to be backlash from this? But then on the other hand, I thought, well, that's exactly what shouldn't happen. That's exactly what sharing this should be trying to overcome. So I did. And, and I mean, the response from the public let me know that I was doing exactly what I was supposed to be doing. It's hard losing a friend um, to a, to a drug addiction. Um, I lost a friend um, a few years back and it's just something that you never quite recover from and the memories are there and you look through their life and then you look at your relationship with that person and say, where did, where did we lose this person and what could I have done? And I know that when I, When I lost a friend, you, you, you think, what, where, can, where could I have come in and what could I have said? What could I have done? What could I have prevented this? And there's just a hundred different possibilities and variables where it's ultimately it's out of your control because the person made the decision to do what they do. And as much as you try to help them, that was their decision. But I think that yeah. moreover – in the aftermath of tragedy, there's still the stigma, as you mentioned earlier. And the stigma yeah. is, is that people who do drugs or, or have some sort of addiction are, are bad, are, 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 are not good people. And that's the opposite of most cases is that they, they somehow get involved with taking a drug and then it becomes an addiction. And they just don't know how to fight it or they don't have the resources to do it, or they don't know who to turn to, or they sometimes just don't know who to trust to talk about it. I mean, I've had problems before, and not addiction problems, but you know, uh, all kinds of problems, just like everybody does growing up in their twenties. And I just didn't trust. I didn't know who to turn to, or the right people to talk yeah. with. And you know, it was stigmatized, and people look at you, and then you don't want to appear weak. Emily, and then it just continues to exacerbate, and then suddenly it spirals out of control. And yeah, I'm, and, and that's what I think a lot of people don't don't aren't getting. You know, if they haven't had an experience with this, or if it's not directly affecting them, everyone says, "Oh, drug addiction is a choice." No, doing drugs is a choice. Becoming addicted is not a choice. And the reality of it is. The majority of people try drugs at some point in their life. I mean, sure. let's be honest. There's really not a whole lot of people that are up there in age that didn't experiment with something in their life. That doesn't make them a horrible person. It makes them a human being. Doing drugs is a choice. But when you get addicted to it and lose everything to it, it's no longer a choice at that point. And what was, it, it's frustrating. What was Ashley's journey? What What were the symptoms um, what were the consequences? Obviously, the ultimate consequence was um, her her life being cut short at such a young age. But yeah. what did you see? What were the effects of the consumption of the drug? What did you watch unfold before your eyes? 
I mean, she she eventually lost everything. I mean, she had she had an apartment, she had a nice car. Um, she she lost it all by the time you know when she would get in trouble, uh, she got like a possession charge, and went to jail, and so she couldn't make her car payment. And um, I think the most important thing that she lost was her self worth. I mean, she she didn't think she was worthy of of nice things or nice relationships toward the end of her life because of what she had done. And no matter how many people, I mean, her, her mom was always supportive of her, my parents, myself, you know, reaching out and saying, you're, you deserve the world. You've made a bad decision. It's okay to turn it around. But, you know, when you get to that point, you lose your self-worth, you lose your identity when you've just consumed, I mean, it, it completely consumed her. So it's, and, and it's hard even still because I, you know, she was more than an addict. And unfortunately, she will always be labeled an addict because that's how she died. And 2,400 people died in Maryland last year. And to most people, it's just a statistic. But there, she was more than an addict. She was more than a statistic. And so was every one of the other 2,400 people. These are, these are human beings that, you know, ultimately gave the ultimate sacrifice or something that they could no longer control. So that's why I'm out there so hard trying to fight for it. Absolutely. Uh, what's the roots? Where does it come from? How are how are people getting their hands on this, and how is it so readily available and and distributed? Well, they estimate between seventy eight and eighty five percent of heroin users start with prescription pills. So there are a whole lot of doctors who need to go home and take a big long look in the mirror <laughs> because mm-hmm. you know it's it's and 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 that's another thing that people who want to look down their nose at it aren't understanding. I mean, these are 17-year-old kids who blow their knee out at football practice and have a minor surgery and then get addicted to pain pills. These are adult businessmen and women who have a minor dental surgery and get addicted to pain pills. I mean, the NIH did a study last year that they think it takes eight days for your brain to be addicted to an opioid painkiller. I mean, eight days. Wow. So if you get a 30-day prescription, the the chances by the end of that prescription, your body is already physically addicted to it. And when you stop taking it, you're going to go through withdrawals, which leads to doctor shopping and then eventually leads to heroin because it's cheaper. So it, the majority, the, the big majority of people using are, are starting with pain pills. Some of it is just recreational use. Hey, I got a Percocet for my friend, but a lot of it is legitimate you know, valid prescriptions that they were prescribed for valid reasons, and it just spirals out of control. So this summit, this past Friday, you've been working on gathering individuals from all walks of life and getting them into one place to have a a grand discussion, if you will, about how to take on this problem and it turned into much more than you thought it would. And you developed a opioid addiction summit and a, a seminar, and it nearly a hundred people gathered at Hager Hall, and you had this 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 great discussion. And I saw some of the pictures that, and I'm going to plug shamelessly plug Jamie Lawrence. Uh, he he does some great media work. You have to Amazing. you have to. Yeah, it, I think his his media company is it One Room Media in Hagerstown? Yes. Okay. One Room Media. 
And as a parenthetically, I just want to say that if you are interested in media work in Hagerstown, photographs, video, you have to check out Jamie Lawrence. This is someone who is immensely talented. Check him out. Anyway, so you gathered all these folks here. Talk about the planning stages of this. What did you have in mind when you first developed this concept of, of putting together a summit? Well, I, I had, it was a couple weeks ago, I had gone to four different heroin-related meetings. I went to a Project Act Now meeting. I went to, uh, I, I used the acronyms for all of them, the Senior Opioid Task Force Group. I went to the something, something opioid, you know, just all these different groups of people who all are trying to do great things. And, and I, I went to four different meetings in a week. And I said, you know what, we need to all be in one room because <laughs> this group is doing X, Y, and Z. And then this group is doing X, Y, and Z. And everyone has the best of intentions. And everyone is working really, really hard and spending a ton of time on writing grants and gathering data. And I just thought we are all on different pages trying to accomplish the same thing. Right. So I, I reached out and I said, you know what, I'm going to hold a summit. And I'm just going to invite everyone that has a hand in this, not just healthcare providers, but everyone, police, fire, EMS, parole, probation, judges, the court systems, um, the faith-based community, everyone that's really involved in this process. And I'm going to try to get everyone in the same room so we can talk about what as a county we need to do, what are our priorities, and who can kind of spearhead what instead of one group doing so much work that the other group is already doing and overlapping and really wasting resources unintentionally. Hmm. So I, I decided to do it and got a huge, huge response. I mean, we had political people there from all, all levels. Um, just, it, it was a, it was kind of mind blowing the way it took off. And I, I was really humbled that so many people would come and spend so many hours with it, but it, it just shows you how passionate people really are about solving this issue. And yeah, I, I think we made good progress. Yeah, let's talk about the progress. What uh, what was the content of some of the discussions that took place at Hager Hall for the summit, and what was what do you think was one of the most impactful moments of uh, the, the Friday summit? Well, it, it started in the morning where we um, placed Stamp, who is from the governor's office. He's the appointed crisis emergency director. He came and he spoke a little bit about their initiatives there. So it was nice to have him. He stayed the majority of the day. So it was important for him to hear, you know, how bad we are struggling in Washington County. Um, but the morning, every single organization stand up, have the microphone and explain what they're doing, what services they offer, what their turnaround time is, if they have any initiatives in place. And it took a long time, you can imagine. I mean, there were 60 organizations there, but it really made a full list of what we have to offer. Because right now, I think one of the biggest things we struggle with is when someone says, okay, I need help, where do you go? Obviously, the health department is always the spearhead of everything, but sure. I mean, let's face it, they're slammed right now. I mean, <laughs> they're, they're, they're busy. And um, 
So there's really not one kind of centralized location that you can go to and find a list of services, and which seems really basic, but could really help someone who's at that point of, okay, I need to go right now. Or when it's your, which is your son or your friend, you have somewhere to go. So Jamie recorded the audio for me all morning and we're going to go and make a list from it and hopefully um, host a website that shows all the list of services that we have, not just addiction related, but mental health, um, you know, social service related activities and try to have one umbrella that lists all of that. So I think that that's very important. And then in the afternoon, we kind of split off into focus groups and came up with what are our biggest gaps in Washington County and Hagerstown? What don't we have? And what's priority? You know, we, we don't have detox, which I've talked about till I was blue in the face over the last several months, but that's a problem. And we don't have enough inpatient. And our, our mental health services, generally speaking, are on a four-week wait period. I mean, four week is... Four weeks is the difference between life and death in some situations. So we kind of prioritize what needs to be done so then we can go. And when, when we're applying for grants and trying to get some of this money that Governor Hogan has allocated, we know exactly what we need to do with it. And what is, the members of this – no, go ahead. What has been the governor's position, and how has the, the office of the governor lent your efforts support? Well, having Clay stamp there was a big deal. I mean, I was appreciative that he came. Um, he called me a few weeks ago to tell me that <laughs> I think it was more of a shut this woman up type of call because I had been consistently emailing <laughs> the governor's office and everyone else in Annapolis who would listen. Um, so I, I got a phone call one day, and I think it was more like a somebody call her so she stops emailing here. <laughs> I appreciate it nonetheless. I'm pretty persistent, apparently. But, um, I don't, you know, people have been really supportive. It's just so many counties are suffering, and we're all facing the same battle, and we're all facing the same budget restraints. So it's like everyone's fighting for a piece of a $10 million pie, but we have to make sure we're in a position to get it because we can't wait another two, three, four years. We we don't have it. <laughs> it's, it's true, um, and you, you cannot wait. What about um, – on the the national level, on the congressional level, have have you reached out to Representative Delaney's office? Um, and what about some of the state legislators who have been um, of the state legislators and even the the congressional delegation? Where have you received some support on that end? Yeah, Congressman Delaney's been great. Um, he sat down and, and spoke with me at length about this subject. He knows I'm passionate about it, and you know said. Let me know how I can help. And I believe him because his staff always follows up. He's been great. Um, Brett Wilson obviously is on the opioid task force committee for the state, and he he gets it. Um, he, he understands the problem. He shows up to these meetings. He speaks from his heart. And his presence matters. You know, when you have even the heroin vigil that we held and things like that, he, he comes and he's compassionate, and and that matters a lot to people that he will connect on that level. So, so he's been he's been great as well. And um, you know, it, Bill Frick, who is not our our district, of course, but he's him and Roger Mann are both. They've been amazing to me as well, trying to help me um, figure out where to go and what to do. 
I'm new to this whole process. I don't work at a slow pace, so the government slow pace doesn't really fly with me, and I have a <laughs> I have a hard time kind of figuring it all out. So they they've been really helpful at at helping me with processes and and where to go and how to reach out. You know, I I kind of have that mentality of, well, we need it. Why isn't anyone listening? This can't possibly be that hard. And then I realize that that's not really how it works, I guess. So. Of course, Bill Frick is the House Majority Leader in the Maryland House Delegates, and Roger Mano is a state senator um, in the, the Maryland State Senate. Uh, I should also mention, incidentally, that they are both considering uh, congressional bids and the 6th Congressional District, and they would also, you know, wh- whomever emerges from whether it be of either party, this would be an issue to tackle. And that's great. I'm glad that they are giving you that, that assistance. And I know you repeatedly have mentioned that Bill Frick has been an important ally in this process. And that's good. Um, So let's talk about more about the the summit. Um, I do see that you had several people from various agencies um, one of the one of the key players at this was the Hagerstown uh, chief of police, and you also had Kevin Simmers, who I, I I think he's a former sergeant with the Hagerstown Police Department, and yeah. he suffered a unimaginable tra- tragedy, and uh, his daughter succumbed to the addiction, and ultimately passed away because of it, and yeah. I, I believe that. Um, Kevin rose up and talked about that. Talk about his speech. Did, how did that impact you? You know, him and I have had a lot of conversations, and I, I hope I never can relate to his pain um, because it, it's just unimaginable. But he is so passionate about making a difference. I mean, I think he's raised close to $900,000 in donations and land and everything else for Brooks House. I mean, he isn't just talking the talk. He's walking the walk. He said he wanted a nice women's facility to get help and have treatment the entire way through a sober living house, and he's doing it, um, which is just just amazing. He's always passionate when he speaks. He's brutal, and he's honest, and he doesn't have a filter, and it's, it's exactly what people need to hear. Um, he, he stood up. You know, he's not a provider yet. Brooks House is not open. So he kind of just, when it was his turn to talk, said, we need to get on the same page. We need to not be competing against each other, which, which is true. I mean, healthcare providers, it is a business, and I understand that. But at the same time, if you can't take someone, we got to be referring them elsewhere and, and start looking at it as saving human lives and not as a business. So he was pretty outspoken about that. And uh he he always offers a good good perspective and Chief Brito, I I can't say enough good things about him. We we are so blessed to have him as our chief of police. Mm-hmm. He is so community oriented. He shows up to everything. He means it. He calls you by your name. He remembers you after the first time he meets you. He's just a genuine good person. He's a good leader, and he he gave a pretty powerful speech at the beginning of the summit just about how they're going to do what they need to do on their end. And, I mean, HPD has been killing it. Every time you open the paper, you see they're arresting dealer after dealer after dealer. So we can't really ask for more from them. But uh, he uh, 
he, he gets it as well. So it's good to have so many people in power on the same page, for sure. When you think of the opioid addiction problem and the consequences, I think many people think, um, and, and this is just based upon the discussions that I've had about this topic, that it's a criminal justice issue, that if you could just simply lock these folks up who have addictions, then once they get out of jail, everything will be just fine. That is the, that is the reform. That is the, uh, the process and the pathway to fixing this. And that's exactly the opposite way to handle this. And that seems to be the stigma because when you think of a, somebody who has an addiction, oftentimes this is, they flood it, you know, they are, they are flooded into the criminal justice system. They are, you know, they soon get these criminal records, which damages their job prospects, which leads to further erosion in their personal and professional lives. And people just keep treating this as a criminal justice problem when it's much more than that, Emily. Would you agree? Yes. Yes, this is not a police issue. This is a public health crisis. It needs to be treated as a public health crisis. This absolutely is, is not a policing issue. Yes, you're selling drugs, you're a dealer, lock them up. But people who are using for personal use, putting them in jail for 90 days does absolutely nothing. You're not treating the problem. They're coming back out. They're using right again because they still have the same contacts in their cell phone. They still have the same mindset that they had when they went to jail. They're, you're not treating the problem. This is It's absolutely a public health crisis. We need to treat it like you would any other disease epidemic. Um, I mean, anything. It, it's just, it has to be treated from beginning to end. We need to start healing people, getting them the treatment that they need. A lot of addicts have underlying mental illness, and we need to start addressing that. And you can't just lock people up and expect their brain to change. No. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, you, you, it just it makes no sense at all. And I think the day reporting center that we have in Washington County is amazing. Right. But have you visited? To be honest here. I have not, no. Um, I've heard all about it. I've gone to a bunch of presentations. I've met with Sheriff Mullendor. I think it's a great program, but realistically speaking, the majority of addicts are not getting jail sentences that are 18 months long. I mean, Ashley was arrested, I think, three different times with personal use charges, and the longest she ever did was four months, maybe five months. In and County? that was on probation. Yeah, it was. Well, it's Howard County, but, you know, people, people who are using, again, generally speaking, are not going out and committing these major crimes that are are causing 18 month sentences. So for the people who do qualify for day reporting center, it's an, it's great. And it's going to save a ton of lives. There's 17 people in there right now. And I I guarantee the big majority of those 17 people's lives are going to be changed, but you shouldn't have to become a criminal to get help. No, no. You, you just shouldn't. <laughs> and and so I, I respect their efforts. But on the opposite side of the day reporting center, we absolutely need something for everyday people who, who don't have that long of a jail sentence, who aren't criminals or who haven't reached that stage of addiction yet to go and get the help that they need. So here's a question for you. You've you've had plenty of conversations with the city of Hagerstown, the, uh, the chief of police police officers, how are they dealing with this problem uh, day in and day out? What, what do they see on the streets? Because they're, they're on the front lines of this as well. It's not, not just, it, it, it's, you know, it's not just the public, public yeah. health sector that are um, 
seeing these effects of, of opioid usage, but yeah. it's police and firefighters. What are they telling you? I mean, they're, they're exhausted. They're absolutely exhausted. Our, our CRS, our ambulance service, they're all exhausted. I mean, they're running overdose after overdose after overdose after overdose. And I'm, I'm glad you, you brought this up because I really wanted to discuss this <laughs> here tonight. For the people who think addiction is not affecting them or that by helping people and treating people we're wasting tax dollars because I see this all the time. Oh, we're giving out free Narcan. Well, two things. One, Narcan isn't free, but two, it's not, it's not wasting tax dollars because if you, if you really want to look at it, instead of looking at people like human beings and we want to look at it like dollars, we're already wasting tax dollars by running all these calls. I mean, our police and fire and ambulance service are going out on every OD call. There's an NTF right. agent going to every overdose at the hospital. I think, and we're going to check the math on this. It was something that came out of the summit, but it's estimated that every call is about $3,000. Once you put into place the two firefighters that went out, the two police officers that went out, the CRS manager that went out, the ambulance that goes out. So, I mean, if we're running two a day, $6,000 a day, it's, you know, a ton of money a week, an even greater amount of money per month. I mean, and this is, that's just one aspect of it. But they're, I mean, they're, I, I don't want to say tired of it because, it, it, you know, it is their job. But if someone's house catches on fire and everyone's running OD calls, we're going to be in a bad place, you know. And so I think they're they're equally as frustrated because they have to deal with it all day. And, you know, when you give someone Narcan, a lot of times they can be violent when they're coming out of it. They don't understand what's going on and putting everyone in a in a in a tiring spot. I can imagine. Um, I, I can certainly imagine. And so at the end of the summit, let's talk about the conclusion. What, what, what were the, the big grand takeaways? What were the key points and what is next? Well, we're going to try to start like a big marketing campaign, which um, again, a, a lot of different entities are doing project Act now is doing a great job with it. The, the fire department is, is really good at, at Facebooking and tweeting and it's kind of, but we're all over the place. So we're going to try to combine and conquer and do like an update on when bad batches are going around, um, where you can go to get help. Going to try to create that, the website of all the different services. And um, something that I suggested that I think a lot of people were receptive to was Frederick and a lot of different areas have the sign that says, how many people overdosed, how many people died that year. Something that I would like to do in Washington County is add how many babies were born addicted because it's, it's a huge, yeah. huge number. And you can't, for people who aren't sympathetic to addiction by, from adults, um, you, you, you can't not be sympathetic to these kids that are being born. I mean, imagine what our school system is going to be like in a couple of years when, when, I, you know, I, I heard, and I'm not 100% sure the truth to it, but I heard a few weeks ago there were between 10 and 13 babies born addicted in a week. Wow. I mean, this is that's a huge, huge, awful thing. So I think it's important for the public to know that, and, and so did everyone else. And then we also want to do a recovery and hope campaign because there are success stories out there, 
And unfortunately, when all you hear about is how many people overdosed and how many people died, while that is important for the public to know, to, to really put in perspective bad the problem is, I think it's important for the addicts to know that there's hope out there and that they can be another one of those success stories. So something that we decided we really wanted to champion was getting those stories out. Project Act Now already started a few months ago. They're putting out YouTube videos of some pretty powerful stories. We've just got to figure out a way to get more of them out there. And we thought about doing a counter um, of how many people are in recovery. So people could submit their stories and CRS has an electronic billboard. They said they'd be willing to put it up. Just, you know, even 30 people in 2017 have, have joined into recovery or whatever the number may be just to show people that you, you can beat this addiction. It it doesn't define you and, and that we can get through this together. So, I mean, that was one of the, the major things is just really getting information out there and then education education, 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 get to it before these kids start. You know, you remember we were in high school at the same time prom promise came around sure. <laughs> and we watched the, the videos of drunk drivers and you'd see like yeah. half severed bodies hanging from the trees and stuff from drunk drivers. Why aren't we doing that with overdoses? So we're really going to try to get in schools and get ahead of the problem to educate these kids before they start using. Yeah. So. Well, I, I mean, it's, while that might be a an extreme marketing campaign, it does work, and it does. You know, if if people are scared, and after they learn the effects of this addiction, then that's that's the first step. Um, yeah. So I, you know, this is this is all great news for for Hagerstown. It's good that people are hunkering down and taking this issue uh, with the seriousness that it needs to be viewed at i mean it's this is a crisis and this is a a public health crisis and we're losing people to overdoses every single day young people i mean emily i look through the obituaries i read the herald mail every day and every day i scroll through the obituaries and every couple of weeks i see kids that are 25 30 31 and you know i i, I of course i don't know stipulations behind many of these deaths, but I, I can assume that it has something to do with some sort of opioid addiction based upon the number of people overdosing at such a young age. That's scary. Yeah. And this is happening in our hometown, but I, I have to commend you um, for, for following through with your campaign promise. And this is not a, I just hope that people see this is not a political issue, Emily. This is a, this is a people issue and everybody, yeah. this is a community issue. This, there's no partisan affixed label to it that Emily Keller um, is doing this for political reasons. This is what you were elected to do. And that is to help people. And that's most important. Um, so I just, you know, I, I just want to say thanks for all you're doing that you're working in conjunction with a lot of different good folks that are in the community and these people care and is the marketing campaign will help um, reducing the stigma will help. And I think education, 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 that starts right in the public schools as well. And I hope that you have the support of the local board of education and Dr. Boyd, Michael, um, the superintendent of schools. I hope that they too are working with you and the rest of the members of the community to 
to help with this crisis. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic that we're going to be able to get in the schools and, and Rick Conrad, he's a Hagerstown firefighter. He's really passionate. He's kind of leading the way on this education piece, but Robin Handler from the board of education shows up to all of these meetings. She's involved. She's passionate. She's vocal. She realizes that they, Washington County public schools really up until this point have not been doing much about it only because it's, it, it is a, a tough subject, especially when mm-hmm. you're talking about telling kids, but they now recognize, and especially with her being involved in these meetings, really see the importance of education. So I'm, I'm hopeful that everyone is going to be able to get, get this accomplished. Councilwoman, sure. I, I really appreciate it. And let me just switch directions just a bit. And uh, so <laughs> I have to ask you a question about um, you've done some great things, but being in elected office, as you've discovered, it's not always easy because you have critics for silly reasons. Am I right? I mean, I think you know where I'm yeah. heading with this. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so you've handled it with grace and compassion and, and even humor. And I, I, I have to say, I've, I've been impressed watching you do this because I, I don't know if I could have been that level-headed when you, you recently were, well, I mean, it's not, it was as soon as last week. Um, I got to bring this up because I think it's important to have this discussion and it won't take long, but you went to the Bonanza extravaganza out at the, uh, the Hagerstown Speedway you bought a ticket, you used your own money to buy a ticket, and then, holy crap, suddenly on Saturday afternoon, you discovered that you won this this car. Um, it was like the coolest and, moment of my life also, by the way. I, I, I mean, saw your I face. I was so excited. <laughs> I saw your face, uh, Emily, and I'm like, holy cow. Uh, Kim and I were watching it, and Kim's like, oh, my God. She's like, this would be my facial expression because you walked out and you're like, I, I – uh, like, I don't even know what to do or say. And so <laughs> you you won this car and then um, all of a sudden you started getting complaints and you, well, I, I would say it came from just one general group and that is, I'm not going to pick on the Republicans, but they did write a letter to the editor. Um, one of the members of the Republican Central Committee basically said that um, he questions your judgment and yeah. for taking this prize. And then you had another member of the Republican Central Committee write a letter to the editor um, saying that it looks awfully shady, that you won a prize, and somehow this would influence your vote when you're negotiating with the union because the union are the individual the, – the fire union are the folks that are putting on this event every year. And you, know, you went immediately and talked to Mayor Brucci on the day after you won this car, and then – you asked Hagerstown's um, – you, you asked for an, an, basically a, a review from the ethics committee. And so what, yes. what happened there? I mean what, what was the, uh, the pushback against you? You know, I, I won. I was so excited. It was not a gift. It was a prize. You can watch my numbers being drawn out of the lottery machine live on Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I woke up the next day, and I called the mayor, and I said, hey, I just won – pretty awesome amount of money just want to make sure that there's nothing that I need to do and I I didn't at like any point think that there was anything wrong with it 
I just right. didn't know if I needed to report it. <laughs> like, what What do I, it's outside income, I suppose. Like, is there something I need to do? And he's like, absolutely not. You won a prize. That's pretty awesome. You know, we joked about it. Fine. And then I started hearing, you know, oh, where there might be an issue. So I said, you know what? I don't want there to be an issue. So I'm going to ask for an ethics advisory um, opinion. Just, just so God forbid anything ever happened in the future, if someone wants to bring it up, I can say, hey, I, I you know, crossed my T's, dotted my I's. That was it. Mm-hmm. Um, I found out then, I guess, two days later, three days later, when Harold Mail called me to ask me about the allegations being made against me, that there was a, the letter written questioning my judgment. And then, of course, I read the letter to the editor a few days later. And I, I'll be honest with you. I, I laughed. I tried to be humor, humorous <laughs> about it. I took a picture with the, the paper of me on the front. and was kind of like, oh, look, I'm on the cover again. You know, oh, that was great. I, my, my feelings were hurt initially, and I know I need to grow some thicker skin to be in office. But I just kind of thought, are you going to be kidding me? I mean, yeah. of, all, of all the things, of all the things to spend your time doing, like I, I won a car at the Bonanza Extravaganza. I was super lucky. And I, yeah. I, at first I thought, all right, I'm going to respond. And I said, you know what, I'm not going to respond. And and I was very happy that the public rallied behind me. I think it was a bigger deal than it needed to be. The only issue that I had was the terminology in the letter to the editor saying, if I won fair and square. And this is why I had a problem with that. I signed up to be drugged through the mud when I filed to run for office. You I did. am a target. Yes, absolutely. You and are. I, I accept that. I see people write things about me and us and Hagerstown all the time, and I get it. I decided to be in this position. But the terminology, if I won fair and square, is saying that those brave firefighters that, that risk their lives every day for the city of Hagerstown would even consider rigging this event, that they donate hundreds of thousands of dollars to local charities from. This is a multimillion-dollar event that they organize and put on in their free time. They don't get paid to set up the Bonanza Extravaganza. They take off and do it. And they they do it after working 24-hour shifts for the city of Hagerstown. And, and to, to even imply that they would consider rigging a prize, really just that, that bothered me. That was the only thing that bothered me. That was the only thing that fired me up because, again, I signed up to be scrutinized. They absolutely did not. And, and they would never – ever, ever, ever risk doing something like that. So yes, that out, was out the implication. That, yeah, and I, I just thought that, that you know, it, it was Which is unfair to, to those folks um, on multiple levels because they're basically, basically the, the, the and, and let me tell you how this went down. And I can tell you exactly how knowing the folks on the Republican Central Committee who um, they're they're gung ho, and I, I'm not going to criticize Republicans. And I'm not going to. It's just I, I'm not going to do that tonight. Um, but the Republican Central Committee, uh, led by Jerry DeWolf, um, they are in the driver's seat of Washington County politics. And so you are, by and large, a popular, a popular popularly elected f- official in Washington County in the city of Hagerstown. And and that concerns them because they they believe in dominating the the political landscape in Washington County with Republican and the, and and that that sort of hard nosed politics, 
And so you represent to them a threat. And whatever that might be, I'm not sure, but they see they wanted to take it down a bit, a, a level. So you understand that. They wanted to just knock it down a level. Um, and they did it in a really um, – they, they, they did so in this attack in a very disreputable way, and it made them look silly um, because, number one, the public was, is behind you on this issue. Number two, you did absolutely no wrongdoing, and for someone like Jerry DeWolf, who during the last election um, attacked you, attacked Peter Bickford, attacked Donna Brightman, and made this – silly, hateful Facebook page that was just really nasty um, to question your character um, and your judgment. I mean, that's what he said, your judgment. He questioned Councilwoman Keller's judgment in this when all they had to do was call the city of Hagerstown and ask for an ethics policy, like a printout, then they would have figured out that you did nothing wrong, that prize earnings don't constitute an ethical violation. But Moreover, Emily, the insinuation that the fire unions were attempting to bribe you or to, uh, to buy you off with a car, I think that that is the most interesting and just completely ridiculous uh, implication out of all of this. And if I were the fire unions in the city of Hagerstown, I would personally call those folks in the, uh, on the Central Committee, the Republicans that is, and say – you know, this was really offensive and, and insulting to think that he, that we would attempt to bribe Councilwoman Keller in negotiations, and that's that's the real problem. I mean, they picked on you. They got their they got their kicks. Um, they they took their pot shot, and it was lame. And they did it in a way that is just below the belt. And so, look, they, and I think it largely backfired, Emily, because you handled it the right way. You didn't buy into it. You, you asked for the advisory opinion. And look, um, they just made themselves look petty. And that's the problem. They can pick on you for issues. And I think that that's fair. They can, Absolutely. They can come, I, I do too. Right. That, now, they can come after Councilwoman Keller for voting for speed cameras, which I don't agree with that vote. And they could come after you for voting for the rock sculpture on the cultural t trail. And that's, and councilman Metzner came on and talked about that. And these are legitimate issues and they can pick on you for the budget. They can pick on you for, you know, voting to allocate resources to certain areas of, of city government. These are all fair issues, but they, they picked on you for an issue that is, completely ridiculous. And I just want to say to Mr. DeWolf and Mrs. Bigelow, spend your time on advocating for policies that you care about and you want to see pushed forward. Not politically knocking down someone like yourself is doing good in the community. Because really, did Jerry DeWolf show up to your opioid summit, uh, Emily? Did, did Mrs. Bigelow bother to show up do they show up to city council meetings? Do they hear the stories? No, because I think that they're consumed inside of their own bubble, and it's just an echo chamber. I mean, that's, that's how county politics work. And so you are a threat to the good old boy network in Washington County. And I say and that as a right. white – go ahead. I, I've just – and, and I've just tried to stay out of it because I, <laughs> politics is a strange world. And it is. I'll, 
I'll be honest it's with nasty. you, and anyone that knows me knows this is the truth. I had no clue about any of this prior <laughs> to a couple months ago. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I didn't know that one group was so against the other group or th- this went on and this went on and there's this. I have no idea about any of this. I'm just trying to help Hagerstown because that's where I, I, I am raising a, a child. That's where my parents are retiring. That's where my business is. I'm just trying to do the right thing. I, I am not a member of the Republican Party, but I certainly have tried to stay nonpartisan. I ran a nonpartisan race. I ran in a nonpartisan election. I, If anyone actually would take the time to talk to me about policy, they would realize that I'm more than just some liberal tax and spend Democrat, as I was called on Facebook earlier this year. I, I'm more than that. And so when I – and I, I know and I sleep well at night knowing that I've tried – to be as neutral as possible. And I've tried to be moderate and I've tried not to side one way or the other. And the thing that told me I'm doing a good job at that was because of that article. So many people were like, I didn't even know she was a Democrat. I mean, the fact that but who's, people the bigger don't question know is who cares. Right. Right. I ran a nonpartisan race and let's be honest, my views on abortion and gay marriage have nothing to do with the city of Hagerstown. I mean, no, and, <laughs> and, and to be major issues that divide us and, I, I'm I'm proud of the party that I represent. I've tried not to play politics, and I, I refuse to get in a battle of 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 that. I just didn't. That's why I stayed out of it. I laughed it off. I said, you know what? This is, <laughs> I know that I'm trying to do the right thing for the people I represent. It's fine. Like I said, the the only thing that bothered me was insinuating that the fire department would even rig it. But that aside, I mean, it to me was just a lame attempt at. at I don't I don't know what. It was, and it backfired, and it did not make them look very good. If they spent their time, uh, I guess, challenging some of your votes, I would completely understand that. That's that's a legitimate that's a legitimate challenge um, on the issues, and even politically, if they wanted to. But I would just suggest that ch- take on issues, not petty things, and that's what. That's for an entirely different conversation about the co- the conversation on the national level and the way politics are today. But continue forging your own path, Emily, and you're doing that. Every, every day you're putting your head down and you're getting to work on behalf of the city of Hagerstown as you promised to do. People can disagree with some of your votes, and there, there will be more Absolutely. of that. And But sure. I would just – I would just commend you to that you did the right thing and shake it off. Um, there'll be more attacks, I'm sure, in the future. But don't worry about the small stuff, the petty stuff, the the piddly stuff like that. And I'm on keep a work- Ryan. I got. I, I know got you are. Stuff to do. I know you are. <laughs> um, and you know, and I told you that even on on the you know we 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 talk and. I just said, don't worry about this kind of stuff. And but but it is sometimes because it's kind of like it's like swatting those little gnats away because they they buzz in your face and then you have to put on sunscreen and then you have to put on bug spray. And I I see the Republican Central Committee in Washington County as little gnats flying around and you just got to swat back at them. Um, and <laughs> you know and that's unfortunate, but you're doing the right thing for the right reason. So. I know you have to get to bed because you are a business owner. You rise early, and I have to 
to finish out the show talking about another unique issue uh, happening in Washington County. Um, yes, and but, I definitely do not want to be on the line no, for that conversation. You, you don't. <laughs> um, you do not. So, Emily, I really appreciate you coming on and talking about uh, the Opioid Summit. You're doing great work. Keep it up. And I, I hope you come back again to the show and we can have some conversations about some other issues as well. Absolutely. Thank you again for having me, Ryan. All right, Emily, you have a great week, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right, you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So that was Councilwoman Keller. We really appreciate having her on. Um, she's a great addition to the Hagerstown City Council. Um, I'm, I'm glad that she is working in, con- in conjunction with the many community leaders. She's doing a great job, and I, I think it's important that she continues to push this conversation. Um, and to have these tough conversations, opioid addiction is not a, t- it's not a fun conversation. It's not easy. And she's, she's, she's doing the work that needs to be, um, she's, she's doing the work that needs to be done. And I'm proud of her. So another story broke in Washington County this past week. And that is um, that Washington County commissioner, Leroy Myers is being accused of sexual harassment by the assistant county administrator, uh, Sarah Langford Sprecher. And this rolled out um, late last week. And so basically the genesis is, is that Sarah Sprecher um, is accusing Leroy Myers, according to a, a legal notice, um, that – various claims arising from predatory and offensive sexual and related actions committed against her by uh, Commissioner Leroy Myers. And then they detailed it. It stems from a a business trip um, that county county officials took to Seoul, South Korea on or about October 8, 2016. And then she further accuses the commissioner after she said that she rejected his sexual advances and and she claims that he put her put his hand on her thigh in Korea and she said no and she also claims that the commissioner um, kissed her on the cheek um, and I just I want to preface the conversation with this and this is important um, I know Commissioner Myers and I know his wife Nicole. And as I mentioned in my article, they are my friends. And I know Sarah Sprecher. Um, I, I don't know her as well, but I do know that she's been in county government and she has served her community very well over the years. I don't know all the details. Of, I wasn't there. I'm only reading what I'm reading like the rest of you are. And so it's important that we understand at this point, at this point, that Commissioner Myers is innocent until he admits guilt or until he is, you know, until he says otherwise. These are just accusations. These are just accusations. It's Ms. Sprecher's word against Commissioner Myers. And Commissioner Myers has, um, it, he is represented by um, uh, Bruce Pohl, a local and popular attorney in uh, the Washington County. Uh, community, former state delegate, um, and 
he is aggressively fighting back against these allegations. And so there's going to be a lot to, there's going to be some, some back and forth, but this is, these are just allegations that um, have yet to be proven as fact. There'll be witnesses brought in, I'm sure, and both sides will have their say. So I just want to preface that, and that's important because we rush to, to judgment in these cases, and you know the the only people that are talking at this point are the lawyers. And you know there's this long document, you know it doesn't, and it's not necessarily, you know you read through the, um, this legal notice that was filed, and you know some of the things that you read, you know of course it could be, it's it's definitely troubling. Um, and so, but I just want to preface that. Just keep in mind that wait until the full picture comes out before making a decision. I mean, this is a politically tense situation for Commissioner Myers. I've known Commissioner Myers for a long time, and I know him to be a good man. And I know Sarah Sprecker, and I think she's a good person. So I wasn't there. You weren't there. Um, and I just think that it's important for us to – for the facts to come out. And you know, if this is true, then obviously that's something that Commissioner Myers would have to talk about. Um, and you know, it, they're they're saying that Ms. Sprecker said that she rebuffed Commissioner Myers's harassing sexual advances, and then in turn, Commissioner Myers retaliated against Ms. Sprecker by engaging in a campaign to demean, intimidate, and harass her, as well as to discredit her among her staff and colleagues. And after she's saying that after she rebuffed Commissioner Myers, that his tone demonstrably changed and his conduct changed towards her and that he demeaned her, failed to provide her with the needed support and then crafted and spread negative and baseless rumors about her work performance. So like I said, these are just, what is written, what is she's alleging. And then she goes on to say that she, that commissioner Myers in an attempt to compromise and embarrass her approached her at her workplace and then solicited her assistance to, uh, hasten the termination of, uh, the former County administrator, Greg Murray. Um, and then basically She's saying that um, he wanted her help to to get rid of Greg Murray and that uh, she did not want to do that. I'm just I'm just looking through this document. Um, then there's a statement that said that Commissioner Jeff Klein personally confirmed to Ms. Sprecker that Commissioner Myers since late October 2016 actively had prosecute, uh, prosecuted a continuing campaign to alter Ms. Sprecher's work conditions and terminate her employment with the county upon information and belief contemporaneous with Commissioner Klein's revelations to Ms. Sprecher, Commissioner John Barr wrote to the Commissioner Myers defending Ms. Sprecher's job performance and asking him to change his mind and cease his efforts to demote or fire Ms. Sprecher. Um, Another interesting tidbit was that um, Commissioner Kiefer, Wayne Kiefer, who was appointed by the Republican Central Committee to fill the position 
of the late Vincent G. Woody Spong, who had resigned in January of 2016 after the governor's office had asked him to withdraw his nomination. Um, There was an incident, and I'm just reading this, I'm just backtracking, that on March 9th, 2017, in connection with the interview of Jeff Rhodes, the then city administrator of Cumberland, Maryland, a candidate for the county administrator position, and with Ms. Sprecher in an adjacent office within earshot, Commissioner Myers apparently urged the other commissioners to forthwith to replace Ms. Brecker as, a, as the assistant county administrator. And then shortly thereafter, Commissioner Wayne Kiefer approached Ms. Brecker and informed her without any justification or explanation that he and Commissioner Myers were going to recommend that she no longer be employed as the assistant county administrator. And then in, Kiefer had informed her that they were going to find another position for her to fill. Um, The report went on to say that recognizing that the demotion recently promised, recognizing that the demotion recently promised by Commissioner Kiefer, as well as Commissioner Meyer's campaign to cause her to be replaced by Mr. Slocum, both resulted from her rejection of Commissioner Meyer's offensive sexual advances in October. Okay, I'm just reading that. Um, so this is yeah you know, this is a, a long complaint and it's 11 pages and of course Ms. Brecker has hired outside counsel. Um, if you want to call into the show, the it's we have a few minutes left. I'd be interested to hear some opinion on this. It's area code six four six seven one six five nine seven one. If you're listening, the phone number to call in is six four six seven one six five nine seven one. We're talking about the sexual harassment allegations um, against uh, alleged sexual harassment allegations against Commissioner Myers. Um, So I just read a recent article in the Herald Mail that the county government has retained outside legal counsel as a result of the sexual harassment complaint filed by Ms. Sprecher. Now, I did reach out to uh, James Jenkins to see if they would comment on this, and of course they can't because they they say that it's, as it is, a personnel issue that's ongoing. Nobody's talking about this. I've reached out to uh, a dozen people. Nobody's saying anything, and that's that's the right move. Nobody should be talking about this. I reached out to, to Commissioner Myers. He's not talking. He can't. I mean, it's he, he has to speak through his attorney, and his attorney will speak on behalf of his client. And I would expect that um, Commissioner Meyer's attorney, Bruce Poole, will aggressively fight back. And, um, you know, they're going to they're going to fight back. And this is this is this is damaging to commissioner's reputation. And, you know, if if these allegations prove to be true, and like I said, that's something that Commissioner Myers will have to talk about. But, um they're saying that damages are available to in Maryland for claims of intentional infliction of emotional distress, and for a plaintiff to recover damages, they need to prove that the conduct was intentional or reckless, the conduct was extreme and outrageous. Um, and so, you know, a few other tidbits. So, it, it's yeah, there's 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 going to be much more to talk about about this and it's you know it's it's not it's not the best story you want to see 
on the front of the page, on the front page of the newspaper, if you're Leroy Myers, who served three terms in the, the Maryland House of Delegates um, in District 1C. He's, he became a commissioner in 2014 when he ran. And I know that, uh, you know, there's, he's, he's a newly married guy. And yeah, it's, it's tough. You live in a community, a small community like Washington County. And this comes out on the front page. Look, I've been, I've been on the front page of the newspaper myself. It's not fun. These things for, for negative things. Um, and I, I, I just think that we have to wait for the facts to come out. We have to wait to hear both sides and, and there's a lot to this and people are, people are not talking and that's, that's to be expected. I just hope that, you know, if, if this is true, we have to understand that sexual harassment in the workplace is unequivocally unacceptable. It's not something that should, should ever happen. And if, if it does happen, it needs to be addressed and, People should feel free to come forward. And another interesting tidbit is, is that Ms. Sprecher is claiming that she had talked to uh, the county's uh, human resources person. I'm just reading this. I'm sorry. I'm just scrolling through the county's Stephanie Stone. Um, and apparently she's alleging that Ms. Stone said that um, – Commissioner Myers is a you know, a powerful guy in the county, and that uh, Ms. Brecker's interest would be best served if everyone acted like adults. And apparently, according to this document, Ms. Sprecher said that um, Ms. Stone requ- suggested that she drop it and move on, and she counseled Ms. Sprecher that she should focus her attention on convincing Commissioner Myers to give her a fair shot as an assistant county administrator by working closely with the new county administrator. So there's that. So this, there's a lot of moving pieces to this. So I, I, I'm sure that there's, there's going to be leaks. There's no doubt. I, I, I can 100% guarantee it. There will be leaks in this. People are going to start leaking things. In fact, I've already had things leaked over to me, but we have to focus on the facts, and the facts are, at this point, they're just allegations. They are not fact. They are not proven. Commissioner Myers has not had his chance to say anything, and he's not saying anything yet. So please remember that in this country, a keystone of democracy and one of the core central tenets of who we are as a nation is that we are innocent until being proven guilty by a juror jury of our peers, et cetera, et cetera. That's who we are. Commissioner Myers has a right to defend himself, and Ms. Brecker has a right to seek damages if she, if she believes that she is um, you know, aggrieved here. So this is serious stuff. I hope it's, I hope it's resolved, and I hope that um, it's, it's not a good thing to be happening in county government. There's a lot of good things happening in Washington County. And I'm sure that this issue, it, it, it's vital. It's important. It's somebody that is alleging sexual harassment. And if it's, it's true, it shouldn't happen. 
But there are many other issues that county government that should be on the front page of a newspaper. Um, so it's everybody should be should be heard and listened to. Uh, this should be handled with sensitivity and care to all parties involved. And that's all I'll say about that. I'm sure that more information will come out about that. So interesting stuff. Okay. Well, we're, we're, we'll go ahead and wrap up the show. It's been an hour and a half. I appreciate your attention on this warm, sunny Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening. Um, yeah, we went, we spent our day uh, in, down in Washington, D.C. We went to, we, we took a walk around Obama's new neighborhood, went into, made the major mistake of driving into Georgetown, which was ridiculous and stupid because Sunday, the first Sunday in June, which is a beautiful day out, the weather's perfect, a little hot, a little humid, but that's D.C., it's a swamp. We drove into Georgetown, we were stuck in traffic, and I'm a grump when I get into traffic. But overall, it was a great day. I hope it was a good week for you. There is a lot of interesting news happening. You can follow us on a, at aminordetail.com. Follow us every Sunday night on blogtalkradio.com slash aminordetail. Thanks for, thanks for your attention. Thanks for listening. And as always, enjoy your week and make it a good one. Have a good night.